NASCAR legends Dale Earnhardt, Terry Labonte, Harry Gant, Tim Richmond, and others shine on the big screen alongside Burt Reynolds in Stroker Ace, a NASCAR classic movie that may not pass inspection these days. Ever since folks could remember, Stroker Ace hated only one thing, second place. Now he's the best there is. Uh and if you don't know why, well, just ask him. It's part of the wonderfulness of me. <laughs> He's a sporting man. You either crash or win. <laughs> and I like that. A ladies' man. I think it's important that you be here for this. I'll just do that and just put that right off of there, and you'll be able <laughs> A man's man. Why don't you drive a Clyde Torkel chicken pit special and the fastest chicken in the South? <laughs> you think it's easy driving with chicken feet? I've done some dumb things in my life. This is the dumbest. I want you. You do? Yes. <laughs> this summer, Burt Reynolds is Stroker Ace. <laughs> and it's going to take Ned Beatty, Jim Neighbors, Parker Stevenson, Bubba Smith, and Lonnie Anderson to put him in his place. How's this for spectacular? Welcome, everyone, to Zoom Lens. My name is Eric Estep, joined, as always, by Josh Mull. We're talking Stroker Ace today, 1983 movie from Warner Brothers. This is, Josh, I had never seen this movie. We've, we've done a lot of new age movies from the last, like, decade, <laughs> this, this show so far. Uh, most recently, we watched Logan Lucky together. This one is a is a classic to some, uh, but it was also a box office bomb. And actually, Burt Reynolds, the star of this movie, kind of credits this movie as sort of the turning point of his career when things sort of went downhill for a while. But uh, I'm excited to watch it. Josh, this wasn't your first time watching this movie, was it? You've seen it before. I've seen this movie before when I was very, very young, very young, probably mm-hmm seven or eight and we'll get into it um later on about the material Uh, i saw it young enough that it all went completely over my head and i had just the the flashingest images of burt reynolds and jim neighbors and the racing and that's about it this was a a whole new experience watching it uh, so much later yeah, so you remember the, the best parts of this movie, in my opinion. <laughs> there you go. We're going to get into it. The one thing I'm excited about, Josh, is this is the first movie we've watched that truly is uh, through and through a racing movie. Uh, well, no, it's through and through a NASCAR movie. I would say some of the others, like uh, the, the John Travolta movie we saw, was a racing movie. But this is the first one that's NASCAR. You see Daytona in all of its 1980s glory. You see Atlanta International Raceway, back when it was called that, old configuration. You see that in all of its glory. You see Charlotte Motor Speedway, America's home for racing. You see some great NASCAR icons beautifully put to film uh, with all that classic 1980s flair. And and some of the race cars look great. Lots of great cameos from legends of the sport like Harry Gant, uh, Dale Earnhardt, Kyle Petty, the list goes on. Ken Squire has one of the most iconic uh, scenes in the film, a great cameo from uh, the great Ken Squire as well. So a lot of good racing stuff in this movie, but as we'll get into here shortly, my biggest gripe, Josh, was was with the two, I'd say the two most important aspects of a com- comedy film, the comedy and the plot. 
the story. I, I, I found very few redeeming qualities with both, but uh, we'll jump off, Josh. Where do you want to start here? Uh, this, uh, what is this, episode four, three, <laughs> 3A of Zoom Lens? I will, that reaction you had uh, to the, the comedy and the plot, that is what made me so excited to talk to you about this movie is this movie came out uh, two weeks before I was born. And so I remember this movie and I remember when movies were like this uh, as a very small child. Uh, this is what comedies were like. This is pre Ghostbusters. Um, I think it's uh, even pre Police Academy, even um, which not that those are, are thoroughly modern comedies, but they definitely changed the way comedy movies are. Uh, and so I, I could not wait to find out this movie is old to me and uh, my generation, I'm a millennial. And so uh, this this movie just looks old. It looks like nostalgia. And I, I was struggling to imagine what does this look like to somebody of your generation, like shocked and horrified. Uh, and <laughs> I could not wait to hear how did this with no connection. Again, I grew up in the South. These are what grownups looked like to me uh, when I was a very small child. Everybody you see in this movie dresses like what grownups look like to me. Uh, and so I, I could touch on it from there. But I could not wait to hear what does this look like to you, a modern viewer? Yeah, so I was born for comparison in 1997, so about 14 years after this came out. So yeah, we are of two different generations viewing this movie, and this is my first time uh, viewing Stroker Ace. Uh, hopefully all of you listening were able to watch the movie, or maybe you've seen the movie in the past. This is, a again, this is kind of a considered a classic, especially among racing fans, but uh, if you didn't see the movie... A crash course when it comes to the plot. What's the story here? Stroker Ace is, you know, a, we see him first as a young kid. You see him, uh, you know, hanging out with his friend and his friend's dad who's running moonshine, running from the cops, you know, classic NASCAR origin story, whatever. Then we catch uh, Stroker Ace as an older guy now. Now he's an adult, I don't know, probably in his late 30s, 40s. And he's a hot shot, kind of arrogant, full of himself. NASCAR driver who's won a couple of championships, but he's in sponsor trouble. And a guy who runs, uh, was it Chicken Pit, a big fast food KFC rival, um, wants to sponsor him, but... You know, by signing the contract, now Stroker Ace has to do all sorts of marketing deals and public appearances that are beneath him, cheesy, corny, they make him look lame. He's used to being that suave, you know, he's Burt Reynolds, a sex symbol, that cool race car driver, and this relationship with Chicken Pit. It's not fitting his image. It doesn't fit his brand image. So the pretty much the entire movie is Stroker Ace, played by Burt Reynolds, trying to get out of this contract, trying to do things to annoy the owner of Chicken Pit so that um, he'll release him from his contract or fire him. That's basically the entire plot. You know, underneath that, he's also trying to win the NASCAR season championship uh, uh, over rival drivers like Aubrey James, who's the, the other fictional driver that gets a lot of screen time in this movie. But uh, that's the plot. There's a love interest, kind of, uh, as well. Uh, but that's it. You're not missing much if you didn't see the story, uh, didn't see the movie. I basically just summarized the plot for you. Um, 
usually, Josh, when we've recorded these, we kind of separate the racing stuff, the conversation about how racing is portrayed, what the racing scenes look like. We usually separate that from the conversation of plot and characters. But in this case, I, I think we can kind of bounce all around here. We can kind of weave both together because this is ultimately a NASCAR movie where NASCAR very much drives the plot. He's looking for sponsors. He's trying to win the big race. He's dealing with his public image and appearance to fans. You know, that is very much uh, a part of the plot. So, Josh, where do you want to jump off here? Do you want to start with the characters or do you want to start with um, what I consider probably the worst plot of any movie I've seen in years? <laughs> I Let's talk about the characters. And, you know, the other thing I'll say, we, we don't have to. You're right. We separate out racing from the movie. We also don't have to spend out of, out of four episodes. We've spent an hour talking about accents and clothing and mm -hmm. checking boxes. We don't have to do that this time. We're not going to talk about the accents. We're not going to talk about the clothes. It's authentic through and through. This is not outsiders coming in and trying to use NASCAR as some kind of set piece. It is, it's a, it's thoroughly NASCAR. We, we, we can just jump right past that uh, authenticity style uh, thing we had. So we can just talk about the characters for once and not as these like creepy sociological uh experiments in front of us it, it was uh I, I really enjoyed that part of this movie that like oh wow we can actually talk about a nascar movie for once uh yeah. so let's talk about the characters uh burt reynolds i this 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 excites me that you did not uh you did not have a good time with burt reynolds i only i only know this goofball himbo burt reynolds um from when i was a kid um uh, seeing these movies and and uh, you know him doing uh, i think it's on a tv show um i've seen li like little clips i know him as a hollywood star but i really know him better in the 90s the the serious actor uh, boogie nights uh kind of vibe i again this movie is a big nostalgia trip for me not a necessarily a positive uh, nostalgia trip, but I, th these were all very vivid memories to me. And Burt Reynolds really had that. Um, I remember him as like, yeah, that, that's what a cool guy was when I was a tiny child, right? Like he was mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, if you were a small child, I guess, what did, what was it about him that was so grating to you? So, well, the only other movie, interestingly, that I've seen Burt Reynolds in, to my knowledge, maybe there's something else that I'm not thinking of, was uh, the first Smokey and the Bandit. I have seen that. And that's kind of a similar, I haven't seen it in a while, but it's another car movie. It was filmed, it was shot, I believe, actually, it came out before this. So it was still kind of in that prime, those prime years of Burt Reynolds' career. Um, it's not, it, it wasn't so much him, it was his character that bothered me the most. His performance was fine he's there to look good and you know kind of smirk with that little mustache you know got his hair slicked back there's all and they make jokes about him fixing his hair constantly like he's supposed to look good he's not supposed to necessarily act good but this is a comedy this is a build as a comedy and i don't think any of the jokes especially none of the jokes you know made by him or his character stroke race landed for me so that that's what bothered me he just felt very they could have cast anyone. They could. That, we joked about this last year. You could have. You could have cast Arnold Schwarzenegger in that role, and I might have believed it, even though with the thick German accent, I might have still believed it because all he had to do is look cool, and uh, and and it works because there was no savvy comedic timing and his character. I I, I want to get away from the performance for a second and just talk about his character. 
His character does not change throughout this entire film. He's introduced, like I said, as a cocky, self-centered kind of scoundrel who's really good at driving race cars. And by the end of the movie, he's still a cocky, self-centered scoundrel who's good at driving race cars. And it's not like he starts the movie with no championships, trying to carve out his route in the NASCAR world. No, he's won a couple championships. He's like established as the best driver in the series. And he stays the best driver in the series. I don't. He's supposed to be the protagonist that we kind of watch his journey. And, you know, the only struggle we see is him dressed in a chicken suit which he did to himself because he's careless and signed a contract without reading it. I don't, I, I don't, I don't like dumb people who just, uh, just make, be, willingly make bad decisions. And so when I see a character do that in a movie, I, it doesn't make me sympathize with them. Like he signs this bad contract without reading it. And when bad things happen because of that, I'm sorry, I don't feel any sympathy for him. And I just thought his character, the writers, it's like this whole movie was supposed to be one long SNL skit where it's just, or like airplane where there's even an airplane, there is plot. The main character goes through growth and overcomes past demons and stuff, but it was meant to just be like joke after joke, after joke, after joke. I think that's how this movie was tried. That's how they tried to make this movie, but none of the jokes landed and the character didn't grow at all. So I felt no attachment to stroke race whatsoever. I actually thought this about this in the shower last night. I have some great shower thoughts. There are movies in the past where people joke about, uh, you know, rooting for the against the main characters, like the the Jurassic Park sequels. You'll root <clears throat> for the dinosaurs. Yeah, that's kind of a joke. Like, oh, I'm rooting for the dinosaurs. This is the first movie I've seen, and I don't know how long where I was actively rooting against the character the filmmakers wanted me to like. I w- I wanted him to fail <laughs> this whole movie, and it's not Burt Reynolds's performance. Again, it's just fine. He's a blank, good looking plank of wood. It's just the character. I, I, no growth, no redeeming qualities. He's a scoundrel through and through. And you know, maybe back in the 80s, 90s, you know, people, older generations, you could you know, idolize that character or find redeeming qualities, some charm. Like I, I admit and understand that other generations may find charm in that kind of a character. I do not. I just I feel like we graduated past this kind of filmmaking, this kind of character development decades ago, which I guess we did because that's when this movie was made. Yeah, you know, this movie did feel very old, especially when you, when you talk about the character, Burt Reynolds, this felt like, you know, some old-timey Hollywood, like, oh, we're making another Burt Reynolds picture, you know, yeah, like, it felt, uh, yeah, didn't, exactly. he's not playing a character, he's playing Burt Reynolds, uh, it, it's very loose, and they weren't really thinking about things like, what is his motivation? Um, what is his growth as a character? What are the conflicts that you need to be set up and resolved? Like, they don't think about him like that. They're just like, uh, let's get Burt Reynolds, uh, a hot chick. We'll have a funny guy, um, yep. you know, make it 89 minutes and let's go. Like, it's, it's they didn't, again, I, I kept thinking about things like Ghostbusters and Police Academy um, and even into... John Hughes movies, that kind of 80s comedy hadn't fully formed yet around that. This was a very throwback movie. I have a feeling, you know, you talked about it bombing. I have a feeling this movie was a little out of time when it came out. 1983 is pretty late for this kind of comedy in that if it had come out in 1975, I, I think it would have done better. But it is, it is in a post-airplane uh, world. And I think if you took those two movies, compared airplane to this movie as comedies, 
the, there's no contest. This Not movie sucks, right? Uh, yeah. It like you're, and you're right. Uh, even the jokes I laughed at, and laugh is a laugh is a strong word. Uh, I don't know if they counted as laughs. They were, uh, as you described, the the sort of nose laugh, uh, dad jokes. In, and that literally I could remember my dad making a joke like that when I was a little kid kind of thing. It's not very sophisticated. Uh, it's not witty or clever. It's it's, it's the same weird. joke. They do that the same, same. It is the same joke. They do that same joke where they like call someone by the wrong name. And when they're like corrected, they say, oh, oh whatever. You know, they, they do that. Like, oh, uh, uh, hey, Audrey. Oh, it's Aubrey. Whatever. They do that joke literally like three million times. It doesn't make he's he's. Burt Reynolds. He's. It's an excuse to have Burt Reynolds on screen. I guess if you are old enough, you will find him very charming. Um, I again, I, I was able to sort of tap into that little kid memory goggles and remember when I would have been amused by somebody like yeah. Burt Reynolds. But as an adult, not at all. It's not very funny. It's not uh, anything. Uh, his performance is. His performance is every Burt Reynolds. If you've seen Burt yeah. Reynolds in anything, if you have seen Norm MacDonald's SNL impression of Burt Reynolds, you have seen Burt Reynolds in this movie. Absolutely. I do want to talk about, you know, we're going to be down, I, at least I'm going to be down a lot in this film. So I know the big Stroke Race fans are not going to be a fan of me by the end of this hour. But uh, one, my favorite character and probably my favorite performance in this film was Jim Neighbors as Lugs, the chief mechanic, the the one of Stroke Race's, you know, best friends. They're They're very bound by the hip throughout the film uh i thought he was great he was he felt like an actual kind of slapsticky funny character he had a few good lines a little cartoonish and over the top but but i enjoyed it you could tell he was actually acting that like i like how you said it they brought in burt reynolds to just be burt reynolds a hot chick to be the love interest and then they brought in jim neighbors an actual comedian to come in and do the heavy lifting and that's how i felt i enjoyed his character quite a bit I love Jim Neighbors. I, him as a kid, I definitely, I watched a ton of Andy Griffith, a ton of Gomer Pyle. He's up there with Mr. Rogers for me as like guys I loved when I was a little kid. Uh, I look, me and my sister would golly at each other <laughs> all the time. Uh, and he, again, though, made it feel very old in that yeah. you kind of remember back in the day when actors, uh, they had to be, funny they had to be serious they had to sing they had to dance they had to you know be the renaissance man be the 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 triple threat uh, kind of thing you had to be these sort of super talents and he comes from that era of hollywood where you could put him in a musical you could put him as the comedy sidekick he could be the leading man he could do all that kind of stuff very this, this whole movie is a big throwback, big throwback. He's a big part of that, um, his performance. I think if you like anybody in this movie, as a modern viewer, you'll like Jim Neighbors. The others you'll be confused by. I think they're very contextual. You had to be alive at the time and yeah. be following pop culture to to know the the you know the the relationship between Lonnie Anderson and Burt Reynolds and all of that. I think a lot of that just doesn't hold up. But Jim Neighbors and his performance does. And I think that, that is that Hollywood classic talent. Yeah. Hollywood performer. Yeah, he was you know, very over the top, very caricature, very much a caricature. Uh, so I liked him, but I also liked kind of the, the other uh, kind of you know, background character, no, not just not lead character, who kind of played the straight man 
for comic relief. And that was Bubba Smith's uh, Arnold, the uh, driver, the chauffeur for the uh, main chicken pit guy. So uh, I actually liked him. He had a couple pretty fun lines, especially that really cheesy bit where they are chasing down Burt Reynolds. They slide through a, a no, what was it, a birthday party? I can't remember what it was. They crash through like a, a neighborhood party and fall into the lake. And as the car's spinning out of control, he tells him, better hold on to something that floats. Like just a little deadpan humor. And then him getting out of the car that's twenty like like 80% submerged and like still opening the 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 door for the uh, for Clyde Torkel. You know, I just think that that bit was funny. He's very straight man. Very, I, I thought that was good. So I liked his character as, as well, even though he wasn't expected to do quite as much um, heavy lifting as Jim Neighbors' Lugs character was. So those are the two two characters I'm very positive about. But let's talk about Lonnie Anderson's character. Uh, I just griped about how Stroker Ace sees no development. Um, Pembroke Feeney sees like anti-development. She goes from being a, a, a very intelligent, career-oriented woman who has strong moral values she sticks to, and by the end, she's getting wooed by the scoundrel race car driver. Like She's been brought down to his uh, seedy level, and I don't... I didn't like that. I was not a fan. I, I, I don't want to see characters kind of torn down like that, especially in a kind of a goofy comedy as this is built as. I want to see at least one character built up, and I didn't get that. I don't know. What do you make of her as a character? The thing about Lonnie Anderson, I, I did not really I, – I could have – you know, the name sounds familiar – um, but before we watched this, I, I couldn't have picked her out of a line um, or anything. I, I didn't really, wasn't familiar with her. Um, but everybody we talked to um, and told them this was going to be the movie, they mentioned Lonnie Anderson. Like, oh, yeah, well, at least it's got Lonnie Anderson in it. Like, <laughs> uh, so, like, I, I take it, it reminded me very much of when Transformers came out. And uh, I heard a lot of like, yeah, the movie's pretty stupid, but it's got Megan Fox in it. Uh, That's crazy. And, you said I had that exact same shower thought last night. I thought of Transformers. <laughs> That's insane. Whoa. Yeah, no. And it's like the, everybody I mentioned, we're doing Stroker Ace. They're like, oh, it's not it's not great. It's got NASCAR, uh, but but it does have Lonnie Anderson. So she, she, was, she was the hotness uh, back then. Um, the only other things I've seen from her, I looked through her entire IMDb. I have seen A Night at the Roxbury, and I've seen All Dogs Go to Heaven, and that's it. I, I again, I didn't. I I would have recognized the name as a famous person, but I, I don't. Did she date somebody from Motley Crue? I who knows? I don't. I couldn't have placed the name. I feel bad. Because we'll talk about the problematic stuff, but she didn't really have a character too much. She had a name, she had a job, and she had dialogue. But uh, I don't think they really gave women like that characters in movies back then. Yeah, no, exactly. I mentioned, you know, Burt Reynolds was supposed to be a good-looking plank of wood. The same effectively goes for Lonnie Anderson, although with, with, I'd say, even less uh, unique personality. I mean, they do try to build her up at the beginning as this highly virtuous woman. Oh, I don't drink. Oh, I wouldn't sleep with another man who I'm not married to. Like, they play all that up you know, a little over the top. It's very drilled home. But again, those morals are, are bailed on pretty quickly <laughs> midway through the movie. So she, her character is not consistent. It, it's... Yeah, I, I didn't. I did not enjoy um, 
her character as well. And so, unfortunately, the two main characters you're supposed to root for because they meet and they get together and happy ending, they kiss at the end. It's Burt Reynolds' Stroke Race and Lonnie Anderson's Pembroke Feeney. I didn't like either one. I just, I thought they either had no arc or like I said, it was a downward spiral rather than an arc. And I, I just, I don't know. I didn't expect that. Even like, I think of movies like... uh like Talladega Nights, which is another, came out, you know, 30 years after this, 20-something years after this movie did. But it was also played straightly for laughs. It was a comedy, some over-the-top characters. But in that movie, Will Ferrell's character has an arc. You know, he has a bad relationship with his dad. He kind of makes up. He gets a girl, and it's more believable. She's more than just a good-looking blank sheet. And you know, at least there, there's something to kind of latch onto. This movie, like I said, I was actively rooting against the main characters. I wanted them to get eaten by the dinosaurs so when he wins the race at the end gets the girl gets all the gets out of his contract spoiler alert you know i i, I was kind of disappointed to be honest i had a good time in that i was able i wasn't actively rooting against them but part of it also was the fact that the, that john travolta movie uh was such a snoozer uh i was That's so fair. excited to finally get uh, I think I even specifically mentioned in one of the previous episodes that I wanted somebody to like punch out the villain, kiss the girl at, after winning the race. And I wondered, like, as I was watching this, like, did I subconsciously remember this movie <laughs> from when I was a kid? Like, I got it. I got what I've been asking for. I got a racing movie where he had to win the race and be good at racing and then you know, the bad guy gets his come up as he gets punched in the nose. He kisses the girl credits roll. I wasn't rooting against them. I was more just happy to like be watching a NASCAR movie at that point. That's fair. I, I feel like we do need to get into some of the specifics. So, so people understand why I think uh, stroke race is a bad guy, like why he's a bad character or, or just not someone I could easily root for. I mean, obviously this movie is full of, cultural social sensibilities that would not fly in a modern day Hollywood productions in some cases I'm shocked it made it through in the 1980s you made a note of this Josh with the rampant uh, sexual harassment that goes on in this movie this movie and even cursing there's curse words I think at one point if I'm not mistaken there's shots of fans flipping off a certain driver uh, this movie got a PG rating which you know just shows you how different times were in the 80s versus I guess the modern day, but Stroker Ace isn't a good character. I don't know. If, I don't know how how you want to go about addressing that, Josh. Uh, not a good I character. Can't. I mean, he's not a good guy. You may think he's a good character. He's iconic, whatever. But he's not a good like person in the world of the story, in my opinion, at least. See, and here the the only thing I disagree with you on is I don't think the world is a good guy in this movie. Uh, and I'm hmm. thinking here that the first time we are introduced to Lonnie Anderson's character. Uh, it's a bunch of guys sneaking up on her and blowing up her dress. Yeah, that's uh, fair. That's fair. And in so the world, like, Stroke Race does not stand out as bad as maybe he would today. Yeah. Yeah. The the whole this is an absolute throwback as far as the social dynamics go. And I think you're right that even in 1983, this was pushing it a little. But I would I did I would say only a little um, because I I was. Uh, alive back then, I, deep into the 90s, you would see, uh, you know, the entire plot of American Pie, right, is about how sure. they all have to lose their virginity. So it wasn't a shocker to me that the plot, the subplot of this movie is uh, how Burt Reynolds can take Lonnie Anderson's virginity. Yeah. Uh, like, and again, this is talked about 
this is major dialogue that's happening between characters about these things. Uh, yeah, they, it's not subtle. It is very <laughs> no. It's 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 right out there, uh, and so the only way that and there are scenes that are deeply uncomfortable to watch uh, through uh, 2022 eyes, um, but I can only really stand it and, and really understand it as this is this is a piece from out of time. This we're looking at a different era. It, you can't really uh expect it to do certain things because no movie was really a a you know progressive you know feminist plot in 1983 that was going to get a, a big star and a hollywood release like mm-hmm. all movies were this kind of problematic e- everything everything that happens everything that happens to pembroke um the pembroke is the character played by lonnie anderson everything that happens to her is a big yikes big yeah. yikes um people everybody on the st- uh, that she meets talks to her ogles her at the least at the least they're gonna ogle her if not grope her make comments about her to her face uh, at one point the boss uh straight up attempts to rape her in a hotel room also played yeah. for laughs yeah this, it sounds like a total nightmare. You have to just kind of put yourself in the shoes of America was not having this conversation yet. And this kind of thing was still acceptable in theaters. I'm assuming, right? I'm assuming. <laughs> it did bomb, I, wasn't, I mean. <laughs> I, yeah, I, this, this, it's pretty out there in that sort of thing. But I, I, I again, I don't want to come off like, you know, we're the woke police here to make our two hour video essay on the problematic nature of this movie. I'm more worried that this movie will get canceled. So if you're listening to this podcast, you can't tell anybody about this movie. Um, (laughs) uh, You can't tell anybody because it will get super hard canceled. um, And I don't, it's, if you can view it as an artifact, I think you, it will make up for itself with the awesome nascar you will get you'll get to see dale earnhardt in this movie um at one point uh both dale earnhardt and burt reynolds mustaches are on screen at the same time the world almost imploded Uh, i think i got pregnant from it (laughs) like this movie it's got so much awesome nascar that um we cannot let the world find out about just how crazy problematic by the time by the time they get to the race where they are literally playing dixie and waving the confederate flag you don't even notice it anymore because you're so numb to the uh, <laughs> the the deeply problematic behavior in this movie yeah i'm with you i obviously don't want this movie to disappear because there is there are plenty of redeeming qualities just not in a traditional like i said i don't have i'm not a fan of the comedy style i'm not a fan of the plot and the main characters but you know like i'm not opposed to an old school movie with a suave leading man who gets the girl he's an action hero i mean i just watched top gun maverick that's all that was it was a throwback and and i respect that kind of movie i love that kind of movie it's refreshing from time to time but this movie the 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 suave leading man also maybe rapes a woman in her sleep like and is played for laughs again like i just couldn't i just could not yeah, get all past that, all that it's stuff. it's all of these things we're talking about the problematic stuff these are all jokes in the movie yeah. like big 
set piece like, scenes. Oh, that, right. the, 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 the part with the when uh, Pembroke is asleep and Burt Reynolds is undressing her, like, it's even played for slapstick, the way he would lean back in and, oh, going in for more. Like, it was... I just, yeah, that was probably the most uncomfortable scene. And, and I, you, you bring up a good point. Stroker Ace's character is not, it exists within that universe. He is certainly, I wouldn't say he's even the worst guy in that in the movie that we see. But it, it this movie is just full of these, these very, like I said, very shady, very seedy gentlemen that, I, I don't know, it just made it hard. It is hard as someone like myself who was born in the late 90s. I, like you said, I don't consider myself the woke police whatsoever. I'm not out here trying to cancel anything but it was I could not relate to or resonate with any of these main characters outside of maybe Lugs which who is kind of one of the few virtuous or semi-virtuous guys in this film there's just it's not played like a sleazy I don't know Adam Sandler or something comedy really I guess at times is I guess I just didn't laugh at many of the jokes I don't know so that's why it was so surprising it is PG which I know PG in the 80s is different than PG today PG today is like you know Toy Story so it's it's not comparable but I guess that threw me off a little bit but but I'm with you if you view it in a vacuum or not in a vacuum but in the context of the the when it came out it still absolutely has a place on shelves and in the scope of history. I guess after watching it, I am just a tiny bit surprised. Not not surprised, but I do wonder if NASCAR officials questioned Corey LaJoy's decision to throw back to this movie last year at Kansas when he ran a, a throwback chicken pit style paint scheme. He and uh, Ryan McGee recreated the iconic uh, scene on pit road with the, the, with, between Stroke Race and Ken Squire. Where, uh, Ken Squ- you get to hear Ken Squire curse in this movie. Uh, the yes. great Ken Squire uh, drops a good old S-H-I-T on you. I believe that like that's that's good stuff so yeah I, I am a little surprised I guess that NASCAR was like so willing to promote Stroke Race in 2021 <laughs> but uh you know it, 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 again it is iconic because if nothing else the racing scenes are fantastic and I think we can talk about the racing a little bit this is a this mo- this podcast is racing movies through the eyes of racing fans Let's talk about some of the racing scenes. You mentioned the great uh, Dale Earnhardt cameo, Kyle Petty, Tim Richmond's in this, Cale Yarbrough's in this, Harry Gantz in this, um, broadcasters like Ken Squire in this. I hadn't seen, I've never seen this movie, but I have never seen prettier pictures of NASCAR in the 1980s. Like when the cars are at speed, at times in the draft. One compliment I will give this movie, especially compared to the other racing movies, especially Logan Lucky, which we just watched, which just came out a few years ago, is that the racing scenes had actual cause and effect. You'd see a guy hang a left, like a, a shot in the cockpit of Stroke Race hanging a left, and they'd cut to a really cool, I don't know how they did it, cinematic shot of him pulling out a line out of the draft, trying to use the slipstream, and it made sense. It wasn't just clips of cars all compiled together like as a highlight reel, and you're supposed to say, oh, that was a race. No, like you saw Burt Reynolds working through the field. You knew kind of where he was on track at any given point. And I got to give this movie, especially considering when it was made, major props for accomplishing that. The continuity that you're talking about there where you can see somebody make a move and then another shot and that move is paying off. The action is, is paying off. Um, you see people bump each other. Uh, if you see the driver turn his wheel to the right, you're going to then cut to a shot of him turning. Like it is, it does actually matter. And yes, this, this movie is beautiful. This is absolutely one of my favorite eras of NASCAR. Um, again, probably cause I was a little kid at the time. Um, or again, after this movie came out when I was born. And so like, I, by the time I'm a little kid, this movie's already old, but 
they, I love the look of the cars. Uh, I love when the, they look like real cars on the street. Um, yeah. I know I, I understand what aerodynamics are and why a race car is different, but it's fun when they look like it, when you could kind of imagine that it is just people back in the days pulling their car up to the track and giving it a run. Like um, the racing is accurate to a point. I, there are, there's, there's a few scenes where it's like, they show them lining up for a restart and you know, they talk about like, Oh, here they come. Like, it's not like that. They're not actually racing in that scene. Uh, but like very little of that, uh, entire scenes play out on the track, their actions on the track matter. Um, when somebody crashes, they will either, um, it's a stunt and you will see them crash a real car, or they will even show, uh, use like stock footage of real NASCARs crashing, which is a little jarring because like, uh, well, why did that car change color and number in between? <laughs> Uh, crashing, but it's great. It, you get real good NASCAR action. Yeah, no, and the stuff they shot on location at these real, you know, classic NASCAR tracks uh, all looked brilliant. And the inclusion of of many real world NASCAR paint schemes at the time. You see some iconic, the old school Gatorade colors, Vaveline colors. You see some great looking cars. Iconic, the Petty Forty Three is out there. The the Petty Blue is out there. You see some legendary looks uh from nascar history on track put to film in beautiful fashion uh, but you also get some great cameos and i don't want to gloss over these too much i know we talked about the ken squire one and a little bit about dale earnhardt but josh uh which classic driver cameo was your favorite which one stood out to you the most uh i actually i i'm gonna i'm gonna cheat here and i'm gonna go with the dale earnhardt and he he appears <laughs> with a um he's on he's on at the same time like kyle petty is there yeah it's a fun scene that he's in and and each of the drivers their cameos are a little funny it's at least they'll get a good line yeah uh you know telling burt reynolds oh you got to put him in the wall and and yeah. stuff like that but the, the like that dale earnhardt one where they're they're racing i just and i don't even know how realistic we really need a ben for this uh episode friend <laughs> of the show ben from a lifetime in nascar podcast but i i would love to know how accurate that is like Back in the day when you were traveling track to track each week, was there ever a time where just all those drivers would be hanging out in yeah. a hotel with nothing to do? What an experience that would be. You're not, that's not going to happen to you today. You're not going to go down to the hotel bar and like, there's Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex getting into mischief, you know, like, <laughs> but that's not a real thing that happened. But like, was it like that back in the day before? You know, the 90s was big for NASCAR, obviously. The 2000s was big. Was it so big back then? Did that ever actually happen where they were like a, a traveling troop of dudes and they just got into shit in the, in the hotel? Like that, that that's why I, that scene, I, I, I really like that because what a, just what a, a, an experience if you were there at the time to just, you'd find yourself in a hotel one night bored, dicking around with these guys, with Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> Dale Earnhardt pushing you around on a cart, racing through the hallways like drivers that's crazy. Crashing through glass windows into the swimming pool yeah. like <laughs> yeah, no, th this movie does have a lot of those scenes. There's a scene at a bar where um, you see a few drivers, and you got you know Stroker Ace and uh, uh, Aubrey. 
Aubrey James and they're kind of making eyes at each other and, and then a, a fight breaks out and Stroke Race just sucker punches Aubrey James. Again, like not a good dude. I'm sorry. Not a good, not a likable protagonist in my opinion. But you know, you get you get a lot of those kind of drivers interacting with each other away from the racetrack, which I feel like doesn't happen much today at least I, I don't know so many drivers live in that you know mooresville north carolina area so maybe they run into each other at at the publics i don't i don't know what kind of grocery stores they have there maybe they run into each other at the walgreens sometimes but like I, I doubt i doubt that this is as common today or maybe it was never common maybe it was just played for the convenience of of this movie but um, no a lot of great driver cameos and great looking race cars i i couldn't say enough um i i do feel like there's a couple points where it's like they were supposed to be at Talladega and then you can see a shot where you're like no that's pretty clearly not Talladega for just that like three second clip of cars zipping by but no for the most part I thought all the racing scenes were very authentic I know you already talked and we talked about this a lot um, on other episodes but we talked about the authenticity of you know the people that this movie is supposed to be representing and you already said the accents were realistic everything felt very real very true to form Um, but the racing for sure this felt the most authentic of any of the racing movies, racing scenes we've seen so far. Do you think I'm going to put you on the spot here uh, uh, on your, your, your judges scale here, which is the more authentic NASCAR movie, this or days of thunder? I'd have to watch. I, I saw days of thunder for the first time just a few years ago. Um, I would lean who, I, outside of the chicken suit stuff, like uh, that's another point. The comedy in this movie is all over the place. It goes from being serious racing to all of a sudden Burt Reynolds is racing in a chicken suit, which would never be allowed, obviously. Take out the chicken suit stuff, and I think I'd go this movie. But, oof, it's close. In Days of Thunder, if I'm not mistaken, don't they basically rebuild or, a race car out of a barn uh, in that movie and bring it out to wherever it is, Talladega or Daytona, and then go win? Uh, yeah, that was that movie definitely has some uh, uh, like that's possible. I'm not saying that's not possible. I know back in the day, people were working out of sheds, barns, who knows what. But that movie, what took place in like 1990? Yeah, I, that's. I think that movie was a little anachronistic in that, like that. Even by that time, NASCAR didn't really work like that. Yeah, that that seems maybe a little. Oh, yeah, exactly, a little far fetched. So I would say actually, this movie, when it comes to the racing and portraying the the sport on race day. But I'd have to watch Days of Thunder again. It's been a few years. Yeah. Well, what did you think? You know, you brought up the chicken suit and there's this sponsor. The question I kind of have is like, did did sponsors own the cars? Like that that sponsor, that's his car. That's his hauler. Um, like, is that how it used to work? Like, you know, M&Ms would own a race team and they would hire Kyle Bush kind of thing. Like, I, I think, how, how did, is that a thing back then? I don't think I've ever heard of that. No, I mean, I doubt it wasn't. I mean, back in when this movie came, I guess like Hendrick wasn't around yet. Hendrick, when was their first year? Mid 80s sometime is when they really came onto the scene. So you still had um, your traditional team owners, your Junior Johnsons, your Bud Moores, all that stuff going all throughout the old older eras of NASCAR. But, you know, I maybe to an extent you had more... You know, you had a billionaire, owns a business, like, I want to try racing. I'm going to get a car, put together a team, and it is going to kind of be... I mean, look, Red Bull came to NASCAR. Obviously, they're in Formula One recently, but like even the last 15 years, Red Bull racing, that's... 
ultimately Red Bull, like, hey, we have a lot of money. We're a big yeah, brand. That's very true. Let's build a race yeah. team or or BK Racing, which is owned by you know Burger King and whoever representatives over there. So I, some of that I think is true. Um, and, and I think that's why you don't see a lot of those teams around anymore is because it was you know, a lot of the people that got into the sport as it was booming um, just didn't actually know how to build and sustain a successful race team long term. They knew other business maybe, but racing, like it, it's its own beast. You need racers running your program that are dedicated to the racing business. And, and I'll bet back in the day you, you didn't have consistently you didn't have those consistently that's why when furniture row won the title a few years ago with martin Truex jr and barney visser like that's part of what made that so iconic is it's it was an independent team i know they had an alliance with joe gibbs racing but it was a team from colorado that was funded by barney visser who made his fortune i guess selling furniture like that but he also loved racing like that's what made that kind of feel old school this is not at all uh, in fact we've had some experience working with drivers and their sponsors and no sponsor that I've ever ever would treat a driver like this in the movie. Like, you know, I own you and, you know, uh, things like that. But I, I liked the back and forth on that. That sort of um, is very like throwback back when every villain in a movie was like a corporate businessman who was going to pave over the whole thing, uh, you know, whatever it is. He's gonna pave over it, and and uh, you know something like that. Was, I, I liked that sort of dynamic between them, arguing over what he had to do because of the sponsorship, uh, but he needed it because it's a really good car and uh, all of that. Um, the the plot, as you mentioned earlier, is really stupid. I, I didn't quite. Everything turns on him, the the bad guy changing his mind, Clyde Torkelson or whatever his name is. Uh, it, but I like that sort of uh, look back at a sponsor and a driver arguing and debating what's what's a sellout. Uh, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, one of the announcers accuses him of blatant commercialism. <laughs> uh, it's funny, like the, people complain about that today. Like all these drivers are sellouts. Like they're saying the same thing back in 1983, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and those and very drivers bluntly. were considered sellouts. No, that scene's insane. That would imagine today if uh, like like when uh, Kevin Harvick last year did the Monster Jam Gravedigger crossover paint scheme. Imagine if if you'd heard, I don't know, uh, Jeff Strigley, somebody from MRN come over the loudspeakers at the track and say, and there's Kevin Harvick in his grave digger monster truck in a blatant attempt to, to you know, yeah. to, like, like, it was weird that they were just trashing. And obviously what happens in this movie, Burt Reynolds is dressed up as a chicken, you know, like a little more over the top than, you know, an actual cool monster truck. So I guess the similarities aren't exactly accurate. But imagine if the, the loudspeaker, the, the PA addresser at a race blatantly called out a driver who's, you know, at track sponsor activation, they didn't like, like that would never happen today. That's not a thing. I don't even know if that happened in the eighties. It did for the sake of this movie, maybe just for a laugh. I don't think that I doubt they were that blunt you know, in that kind of position in real life. Yeah, I think the closest you uh, surely at some point, uh, Kyle Bush has appeared with somebody in an Eminem costume. You know, yeah. like one of the their Eminem characters. Certainly, that's had to have happened. But can you think of a time? One, his car. He's forced to run it with the slogan "fastest chicken in the South," and so there's a recurring gag about people clucking at him. Bok bok, what a chicken! Yeah. Uh, and then at another point, as a joke, he 
makes the paint scheme look like a plucked chicken. Uh, can you think of a time in real life where a real driver has had to run that kind of horrible, embarrassing paint scheme that they wouldn't want to run or wouldn't approve of? I can't think of any off the top of my head, at least not in recent memory. I can think of some weird sponsor pairings. As a Matt Kenseth fan, I remember he drove the um, Affliction car. Like they make like very kind of heavy metal, goth, I don't know, like very like biker almost, like clothing, which Matt Kenseth likes heavy metal music, so maybe it made sense. But Matt Kenseth's public demeanor does not strike me as cool badass biker listens to Marilyn Manson shreds in his room when his parents are trying to sleep doesn't strike me as that publicly so some I've seen some some weird pairings before but I feel like in the modern day in NASCAR you look around I feel like so many sponsors you know they're spending all this money to be on the car they want more than just their sticker on their car they want to have a personal connection to the driver they're endorsing so i don't think you see that much these days i know for sure there have to have been stories of drivers who didn't love a certain sponsor or didn't you know weren't didn't really relate to it super great i'll bet in the mid to early 2000s you probably got a lot of that when tons of sponsors were coming into the sport with big big money you know and a lot of these drivers just kind of had to deal with what they were dealt but I don't know if I can think of any off the top of my head. Maybe, maybe if I can, um, we'll edit it in right here, and I'll, I'll record <laughs> it later. Maybe the millennial car for oh, Kevin okay. Harvick. You know, that's one that you know Bush Beer does whatever they want on Harvick's car every week. It seems that was one that I think the irony was the joke. I think Harvick was in on the joke there. I don't know. <laughs> can you imagine somebody from Ally in in you know Jimmy Johnson's hauler like uh, we Custom own out. you. You're gonna do what uh, yeah. you know. Uh, or you know, maybe maybe I'd buy Alex Bowman, but uh, <laughs> like yeah. they treated him like just absolute dirt, and it's like, well, why did you hire him? Why are you working with this driver that you hate and you don't like him? And like it doesn't make much sense there. That but it's fun to watch them hate each other, I guess. And, and I'm not sure they do a good job in this movie of like letting like getting the audience to buy that stroke race is struggling for sponsorship. Like they just kind of say, Oh, you need a sponsor. And it's like, well, wait, why he's won? He, they say he's won multiple championships. He's obviously still competitive and winning races. Maybe the car starting to struggle. And, and now he's running in the back. Cause I know he gets a new car when he joins the chicken pit team, but I, I don't know. I just, it's like, they don't really dive into why is his, why is he losing sponsors? Is it cause he's too reckless? Cause he's reckless throughout the whole movie. Like that doesn't seem to affect anything. I don't know. Yeah. That, that I'd, I'd put in that bucket of, it's a it's a Burt Reynolds car picture, you know. <laughs> like it doesn't really matter. Uh, they didn't really think that part through. Of why does this champion, who's beloved by everybody and wins at everything and is the best, he's struggling for sponsorship and he has to go with this skeevy chicken magnate who uh, everybody in the movie automatically hates and they hate him before they sign with him and they hate him after they sign with him. Why are they in this farcical situation? Well, because Burt Reynolds is making a movie and they need that to happen. Well, on that note, before we kind of begin to turn to our our final verdicts and really uh, tie this whole thing up, uh, some background. I mentioned earlier that Burt Reynolds said at the time or shortly after, a little while later, he said that this is the movie where he believes he kind of lost his fans. This was the end of his 
prime years there in the 70s, early 80s, whatnot. And you know, I, I was reading, you know, it was interesting. He was this, he was offered two roles. He was offered the lead in terms of endearment and turned it down because, one, he knew the director and felt like he owed the director of, of this movie. But also he knew his audience, audience typically liked him in cool car movies. Like I said, the only other thing I've seen him in is uh, Smokey and the Bandit. So Jack Nicholson took the terms of endearment role and ended up winning an Oscar for it. This movie, meanwhile, I think had a budget of like $14 million and only made about $11 million back at the box office. So it was a, an obvious flop um, and in some ways maybe uh, sparked a downturn in Burt Reynolds' career, the end of his prime a little bit. So I, I know you, you said you don't, aren't super familiar with Burt Reynolds' stuff, but like why do you think this movie – um, failed like we talked about this for for Logan Lucky like it wasn't a huge that that movie was not a commercial success why was this movie a flop if if you had to guess I so my guess is similar to Logan Lucky but as we touched on before I feel like this movie might have been a throwback even when it came out mm-hmm. because 1983 you're talking Return of the Jedi. Um, you know, there, this movie is, this movie feels like a seventies movie more than it feels like an eighties movie. And I know that the decades aren't clean like that. Uh, you know, Terminator two feels very eighties more than it does nineties. And it came out in 92 kind of thing. Like, uh, I, I get that there's a little overlap, but this movie probably felt old. I think there were new, by the time you get to 1983, there were newer, younger heartthrobs. Uh, Swayze must have been around by now. Um, <laughs> that kind of thing. John Hughes must have been making movies at this point. There were, I, I think, there were younger, better movies by this point uh, when had, this came out. At this point, I mean, you had the the big movies like Star Wars and Jaws, and I think even like Indiana Raiders of the Lost Ark had. A, I think that came out around this same year. Um, if I had, if I'm not mistaken, Alien. I think even Aliens. I think both those movies had already been released by this point. So you had, I don't know. I think you had more modern film movies. Technology had evolved to the point where you could do some pretty cool things. And I don't know, a big budget movie. You know, kind of that this old school feel where you just take a star and have him play himself in a new setting. That just, I think people had kind of moved past that. They wanted Harrison Ford to become Indiana Jones, become Han Solo. They didn't just want to see Burt Reynolds, you know, be kind of skeevy for two hours. Like that just, I think, I think you're probably right. They had moved past that even when this movie was made. You know, like we said, the comedy itself fails. And so we could watch Airplane. And I feel like, I feel like if we just sat here and thought about it, we could remember almost every joke from Airplane. Yeah. Um, well, certainly, you know, Monty Python movies, stuff like that. True. Uh, that still very much hold up. We, If you've seen Dr. Strangelove, you've got a favorite character and can remember a line. There's no jokes like that from this movie where, oh, you'll be repeating this line with your friends or you'll be doing an impression of this guy. And, oh, remember when this happens? Like, there's, there's nothing that's really memorable Outside, want to be very careful. As a NASCAR fan, this movie rules. Uh, but as a comedy movie, as a movie itself, there's nothing. You're not going to remember these jokes. You're not going to remember this one scene where this thing happens unless it's like that scene where she falls asleep. And, oh, my God, that it's you're like you're watching the, the 
octopus eating scene from Ichi the Killer. It's so uncomfortable. Uh, but like you would only remember it for that stuff. None of the jokes are classics. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we can kind of discuss our final verdicts here, but I think you summed it up nicely. The racing is great. If you're a NASCAR fan, if you can stomach the plot, which I think people my age, a little older or younger, um, I don't think they'll be able to. But if you are able to stomach the plot and some of the, the main characters, um, the racing stuff is beautiful. It really is. I, I can't get over how gorgeous 1980s Daytona and Talladega and Charlotte and Atlanta look with the old configuration. Like there's so many – there's so much about them that are recognizable. Like, I mean, God, I'm watching these tracks in the in the modern day every single week and to kind of see see them – put to the big screen in such a way shot in such high quality uh, it, it is kind of cool it feels like a time capsule and and again the racing action is it feels better it, the continuity is better and honestly it's shot better than i think even modern a lot of modern nascar movies are shot i i watched um you know the new batman movie that came out i guess earlier this year the one that was like five hours long i watched that one in theaters and there's a sequence midway through where he's chasing down the penguin in his, you know, tricked out kind of like, I don't know, Dodge Charger looking um, Batmobile. And, you know, I thought about this the other night as well. Another shower thought. The shots of race cars in this movie looked straight out of the Batman 2022. So that just tells you how well they hold up. Like some of the angles they got, you're still seeing today. The, the race car sound design um, was beautiful. So if you're a NASCAR fan, watch this for the racing scenes and to see, you know, uh, get a beautiful portrait of what NASCAR looked like in the 1980s. I, I think that absolutely I would support. But like you said, the plot, the characters, it, they're difficult to to handle in the modern day for sure. I, I, like I think you kind of said this earlier, and I, and I mentioned it as well. But the only way you can enjoy this plot to me is if you grew up with it and appreciate the nostalgia. Kind of like you said, you saw it as a kid, you remember the basic things as a kid, and so you could kind of you got a little bit of joy out of seeing it again, being like, oh, I kind of remember this stuff. Um, I don't think any modern audience under the age of let's say thirty five or forty will be able to stomach this movie. I'll just be honest, unless they're hardcore, hardcore NASCAR fans. So uh, I completely understand different generations who remember Burt Reynolds as the the symbol, the Hollywood icon he was that will enjoy aspects of this movie. But it's just, I don't know. As someone, I'm 24 years old. Uh, I, I don't, I feel like I don't get put off by characters or just people in general easily. Um, I, I just, I was put off by a lot of the main characters of this film. I just, and the plot, and if it could have been saved by a truly well-developed plot and there was none of that to be had. So I, I just, it was hard to get through the non-racing scenes. I'll say that much. I, you know, I found a review from somebody who was not only alive at the time, but was in the movie. Let me read you this review. <laughs> yeah. Quote, I was one of quite a few extras in this big bomb. I just happened to be in the right place working safety for the race scenes at AIR, as it was known back then. Thank goodness my scene is in the first few minutes of the movie and I don't have to sit through the whole thing. <laughs> That's somebody who was there at the time, clearly a NASCAR fan, and even they don't want to sit through the whole thing. Uh, definitely, you have to want to see this awesome again you're going to see a great era of nascar beautifully shot there's tons of cameos this is yeah. this is logan lucky times 11 here like there there are drivers and cameos throughout but if you don't like that this movie feels a thousand years old yeah 
I think that's that's a great way to, to summarize it. Um, so ultimately, this was it was great to see a movie that was a NASCAR movie through and through. NASCAR drove the plot, but there wasn't much plot. It was it was off the road in the gravel pretty quickly, unfortunately. But um, I appreciate you bringing this one to my attention, Josh. This is always a movie that. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to like put you on the spot. But this was this, I mean, this was your idea. Uh, we kind of uh, yeah, collectively I'll take the blame for this one. Yeah, we co- well, we collectively decided, but I, I I don't know. I I, I took the blame for uh, the the first one for for at any price. <laughs> so I'm just passing it around here. Um, but I'm glad you brought this to my attention. I always meant to watch this movie because I had heard about it. I know it is considered a classic among uh, many in the industry, many longtime NASCAR fans. So I feel bad. Um, kind of coming down on it hard in some ways, but I mean, I got I got to tell it like I see it. But uh, I am glad I got to finally watch this movie and, and talk about it and get real in depth, down and dirty with it. So I had fun. I hope you enjoyed this, Josh. Appreciate you. Appreciate you being here. I I did. I had a great time watching this movie, not just for the nostalgia, but I was also excited that we got to watch a real NASCAR movie yeah. uh, for once. I'm sure next week we'll be back to five minutes of racing and two hours on accents. <laughs> Can't wait. Well, on that note, actually, for those listening and who want to kind of watch along with us so you can feel maybe a little more involved uh, in our discussions, uh, next week, our next episode, the movie we'll be watching is called Fireball 500 uh, from 1966. So did some newer movies. Now we just did kind of an older classic. We're going to go real old with this one, 1966. Uh, I believe you can uh, stream it on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, of course, you can rent it at other places like YouTube. Um, But I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the full movie might even be uploaded on YouTube. So uh, if you don't want to pay the two or three bucks to rent it somewhere, you might be able to find it there unless YouTube's taking it down. We didn't post it. Somebody else posted it. I'm just letting you guys know where you can find it. Uh, But looking forward to that one, Josh. Uh, Final thoughts on Stroker Ace uh, Zoom Lens episode four? The only thing we didn't talk about is the soundtrack. There is an epic Charlie Daniels song. At the beginning, Uh, yeah. Stroker Ace has his own theme song where Charlie Daniels raps the plot of the movie. Uh, And and a a quick question for you and the audience. Is this the movie that started the trend, the Hollywood trend of having a rapper rap the plot of the movie to you uh, in a song? Is that is this the first one? Is this a, a trailblazer? It's certainly or- not something you don't see it today by anymore. <laughs> so it it has to be one of the earliest. But I <laughs> yeah, that's a good culminated question. in the the Will Smith Men in Black and Wild Wild <laughs> West. Uh, I think that was when humanity had enough of the rapping movie plot. But this movie this movie might be might be in a, a hipster. Uh, we liked rapping the plot before it was cool. Yeah, I like the idea of Charlie Daniels, you know, Charlie Daniels band rapping. I don't know, that just that's <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. It's not singing. <laughs> Slam poetry, I don't know. Um, well, this was a good time. Uh, didn't love every aspect of the movie personally, but I really enjoyed this discussion. Felt like I learned a lot. See a slightly different perspective. Hope all of you listening at home enjoyed as well. On behalf of Josh Mole, my name is Eric Estep. We will see you next time on Zoom Lens. 
Stroker Ace was born to race. He had a mean streak two feet wide. A son of a gun with a taste for fun and more than his share of pride. Take a dirt road curve with a devil's nerve. Make a car dance across some mud. And haul and shine was his regular line till the track got in his blood. It was a real hot shot and he bragged a lot. But man, that fool could drive. Cause he loved the feel of the steering wheel and the girls with the bedroom eyes. And in a racing tide or a barroom fight, old Stroker stole the show. A backstretch blazer, a real hell razor, and a racetrack Romeo. Mama, lock your daughters up, that wild bunch is back in town. And them little girls get frisky when they hear that race car sound. They're bringing out the yellow flag, somebody's brakes have failed. There's all slick on the inside and a wreck along the rail. You better stand on it, Stroker, cause a bandit's on your tail. 